Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. People ask me, were you, uh, you know, were you, were, you must have been the class clown. And I say, uh, no, I wasn't. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, November 3, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, how you doing? My name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello. Day 288 of the Biden-Harris administration, 369 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska and on Twitter at BobSeska underscore go. All right, we have an unusual interview episode lined up for you this week. We got two guests on the show. Two, two, double the fun, right? First, we're going to talk with Eric Bollert from PressRun.media and, of course, the Stephanie Miller Show. Obviously, Eric and I are going to recap yesterday's election and what happened with the Virginia gubernatorial race. Does anyone say gubernatorial anymore? Is it just me? I think it's just me. Gubernatorial. I can barely say it. So, yes, we're going to have a quick visit with Eric, and then we're going to turn to my conversation with the great Wallace Shriver, a 16-year-old recording artist who recorded a hit Christmas song last year called Lonely Christmas and another single we've previewed here on the show called Another Day. Iamwallace.com is the website. Links and tour dates in the description under this episode at bobseska.com. Meantime, please help support this podcast by subscribing at bobseskashow.com. So... We have something serious followed by something fun today, and here we go. I hope people can hear us today over all the screaming. I know, I know. I guess uh, the good news is it looks like your home state just re-elected a Democratic governor for the first time since uh, Star Wars came out, right? Uh, it's been almost 50 years. Yeah, Dems haven't had much luck um, getting those folks re-elected, yeah. but cross, cross fingers looks like Murphy will. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> Thank God for it. I mean, we need a little bit of good news somewhere along the line today, huh? Yeah, and God, you know, I mean, you know, that's a state Biden won by 16 points, so yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, it would have, been, would have been a complete disaster. Well, thanks for uh, joining me today, uh, sure, certainly sure. At the last minute here. What's your take on Virginia? Well, nobody's blameless, and Democrats obviously can't look at that and say, oh, you know, we're good, we're fine. Mm -hmm. But uh, a couple points. Um, you know, I just mentioned New Jersey. You know, uh, so every, you know, Jersey and Virginia have these very weird schedules. They do their governors the year after, you, you know, and everybody else. So yeah, yeah. very often they're, they're the first test when there's a new president. And every time there's a new president, uh, Virginia and New Jersey go to the opposite party. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's like clockwork. And so if you go back to Obama, Obama won 2008 in a true landslide. Yeah. Uh, November of 2009, Republicans won Virginia and and Republicans won New Jersey. And I went back and I looked at some of the coverage and guess what? It was not the world had ended. It's not that Democrats were reeling. It's not that Obama's presidency has ended because it's only been, uh, I'm not good at math, 12 years or, you know, it's just been over a decade, mm -hmm. but the political press has changed so much. Uh, you know, I, I, I looked at a CNN piece from 2009. Well, Republicans say this is bad news for Obama and Democrats say, well, you shouldn't really read too much into it. And that was literally the CNN report when Republicans won New Jersey 
and uh, Virginia yeah. uh, from in Obama's first term. Mm-hmm. And today, my God, I mean, why why should Biden even show up to work for the next three <laughs> years? Oh, oh. And also, you know, after Obama lost uh, New Jersey and Virginia. Oh, by the way, they passed Obamacare. And oh, by the way, he was reelected with relative ease. Yeah. Uh, but the, the press has become so hooked in front. And this is a leftover from the Trump years. They are so addicted to drama and narrative and breaking news and everything is hysterical all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just like, come on, people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and so, you know, and I think the media obviously failed in Virginia with this critical race theory. And, you know, we've never seen, well, we have, but I mean, Youngkin built his an entire campaign Mm. around an obvious lie. He was going to ban the teaching of critical race theory in the Commonwealth. And the critical race theory is not taught in the Commonwealth, nor right. is it taught in any of the 50 states unless you're unless you're in law school. Yeah, plus <laughs> you know, yeah, he's going to deport all the goblins, by the way. No more goblins. Oh, yeah. and, and hobbits. Hobbits, too, are going to be thrown right out of Virginia. Yeah, if, if we're tackling imaginary things, why not those? And 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 so I wrote last week this, this, this critical race theory lie is so brazen mm-hmm. it worked mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. i mean is the press is so programmed uh to pay to pay hyper attention to whatever republicans are, are angry about and in virginia they're angry about critical race theory well the press loves to cover uh you know what they're upset about uh but they were not about to call Youngkin a liar they are not to call this entire movement uh, uh, uh filled with cons right. and, and and cheats and things like that and so they played along yeah. and for weeks and weeks, they didn't even mention that critical race theory isn't taught in, in, in schools. And at the end of the campaign, if you look at the times and the Washington post coverage, it would usually be like the 15th or 17th paragraph. Oh, by the way, it's not taught, but we mm-hmm. just wrote 1200 words about it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it we've, ne- I've, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen uh, a campaign built on a lie, and mm-hmm. then the lie is treated, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I mean, we we, know, we all know what happened. It was a disgrace. Problem is, this is now the blueprint. Mm-hmm. This is now the the mid the 2022 blueprint uh, because Republicans a know it worked in Virginia, which is a which is a very important state for them, and they know they have the press in their pot in their back pocket, yep. and they know the press is too scared and or the press is fine with it. The press seems to be completely willing to uh, to abide a, 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 a racist smear campaign. Uh, and so, my God, why would you not? You know how much dark money is going to be pumped into critical race theory? Oh, I know. In 2022? Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Now, it's possible, you know, the, 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 the kind of the charm will wear off and people will be bored with it. But, um, it, you know, the, the press just completely fell down uh, on the job. And mm-hmm. just my final point real quick, you know, the, the press obviously for weeks seemed to be for a democratic loss in Virginia because they have been invested since Afghanistan mm-hmm. into this narrative that the president, the Biden presidency is collapsing. Uh, and, and they, they saw a Virginia loss as, as being a great data point for that. The, one of the things I've been observing, especially on cable news, is this mandate to report on issues based on the public perception of the issue and not the reality of the thing. You know what I mean? Where it's more like, well, everyone's saying critical race theory is terrible. All the voters, yeah. you know, we go to the diners in the hinterlands and they're saying, oh, my God, we don't want this CRT thing. And that is the extent of the report rather than this is bullshit. This is not <laughs> happening. It's the same with the perception of the Democrats on the Hill. It's not that, oh, my God, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are holding up all of this legislation. It's never that. Right. It's Democrats in disarray. We talked about this back in September when you were on. That's right, the right. And, and Democrats in disarray is merely a reflection of how people who don't really know the legislative process, the parliamentary procedure about passing legislation, that's their perception. And so cable news has this penchant for just merely reflecting that as hard news. Oh, my God, this sausage making and they can't get anything done. And that's <laughs> the extent of the report rather than. Oh, Mansion Cinema, this is how the votes are counted. 50-50 Senate with, you know, Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker. Right. Rarely mentioned, right? 
Yeah, no, I think, uh, and I think that message was hurt them in these elections. I mean, yeah. clearly the perception is Democrats haven't delivered. Mm-hmm. Biden can't get it done. He's supposed to be, you know, you know, he's been in this, you know, he's been in the Beltway 50 years. He's supposed to know how to get these deals done. He can't even get his own party. <clears throat> and you see these headlines all the time. The truth is there are what? 48 senators and 225, 235 House House Democrats. Yeah. That's uh, 285 Democratic members of Congress want to get this done and two don't. Mm-hmm. But that that is absolutely that is absolutely not the portrait that painted. Yeah. Look, you know, um, the Democrats, you know, have to take some of the blame for this. This, sure. you know, these bills should these bills should have been passed in September. Uh, I don't know if it would have changed the outcome in New Jersey and Virginia. I think it would have altered it a little bit, uh, but it, it looks bad. But if it looks bad to begin with, there's no way the press is going to help Democrats, to, you know, kind of tell a better story. Yeah, they're just yeah. going to pile on. Uh, and and so the messaging does kind of become a disaster. Yeah. And you know what? Look, it's extraordinarily difficult. And I'm not looking to make excuses for the Democratic Party or any of the activist groups surrounding that or any of the super PACs surrounding all of that. But the fact of the matter is, if you're and I tweeted this earlier today, if you're untethered from reality, it's really easy to craft your message around the biases of your voters. It's much more difficult to take something that's pre-existing, like, you know, the truth and facts and reality, and then to try to bend that around the biases and the whimsy of voters. And so the Democratic uh, challenge is a lot more difficult than it is if you're on the Republican side. The Republican side, you do whatever the hell you want. You can say whatever oh, the hell yeah. you want and it works, right? Yeah. I mean, look, I've, I've said for the last you know year, you know, the Republican Party is trying to destroy free and fair elections in America and the Democratic Party is trying to pass an infrastructure bill. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there's an enormous gap between the two, uh, but the press still wants to portray, you know, Republicans as center right and, and Democrats as center left and they're squaring off and gosh, they can't get along. Yeah. I mean, even when even when Republicans ran the federal government, House, Senate, White House, there was no agenda. They didn't. What, what did they try to do for four years? They got a tax bill passed and that was it. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 and here's Biden. If you know, Manchin and Semina hadn't gotten the way, he would have passed with only 50 votes, a massive COVID bill, a massive infrastructure bill, and a massive human investment bill. Mm -hmm. Would have been unprecedented in the history of legislation, doing it with 50 votes. As people say, LBJ, you know, LBJ is often pointed as this deal-making genius. (laughs) He had 68 senators. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But he was making deals. Mm -hmm. What Biden has tried to pull off has never been attempted in American political history. And if it wasn't for that, too, he would have done it. Uh, and it, and it would have been one of the most remarkable things we've ever seen. Yeah. And in fact, with LBJ, 68 senators, but still healthcare reform was whittled down to Medicare. I mean, that's, yeah, ex- yeah, that's yeah, how yeah, that right. process ended up going. Right, right. And we, you know, we had 60, 59, 60 senators back in 09, but yep, yep. you get Max Baucus, you get, uh, yep. who is it? Was it Bob Nelson in Nebraska or is it Bill Nelson? I got the Nelsons mixed Bill, up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly Joe Lieberman. They were all yep. the sticks in the mud at that point. They were all the hotheads. They were the mansions at cinemas of that era. And so, yeah, whenever you end up on that, you know, kind of that threshold between either 60 votes or 50 votes, somewhere around there, that yeah. gives some a-holes a lot of power right. to kind of right. screw around and be uh brinksman uh yeah. use and, that and, term. and the point is and the point is the general public doesn't understand it nor yeah. honestly yeah. should they uh it just it just looks bad uh and and and, and again so you know republic when republicans didn't have a legislative agenda for four years there was mm-hmm. no there was no pearl clutching. There was no hysterical coverage about yeah. <laughs> about how Trump Trump didn't even try to pass bills for God's sakes. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, look, you know, Democrats are supposed to be the uh, grownups in the room, the competent ones, and so they're held to a completely uh, different standard. We want them to be the grownups. We want them to be the competent ones. We want them to be the party of anti-conspiracy. Uh, but the problem is the press always holds them. Uh, to a higher standard. Just real quick example. I mean, Trump was president four years. He had trouble, art, you know, stretching three articulate sentences together. 
and the president and the president really care. Joe Biden is president. And last month they looked at him. They said, why is he not fixing the global economy supply chain that runs from China to Portland? How come he hasn't figured that out yet? Yeah. 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 There's not two people in the shipping business that think the White House is ever going to fix the supply chain problem. (laughs) But but it's the press looks at him like, hey. Why aren't you reinventing the wheel on your spare time or something? Oh, yes. We were both tweeting about this yesterday, Eric, about the Dow. Uh, What did we just surpass? 36,000 yesterday. Huge milestone. And during the Trump years, the Dow was the only economic indicator that was referenced, certainly by Trump. Yeah, yeah. But now... Um, it's ignored for all of the other things. It's like, it's reverse. It's opposite. It's opposite day. When the Democrats come in, there's a whole different set of standards than there are when there's a Republican in office. And that's, I think, one of oh. the many frustrating things that we're all dealing with today. Yeah, no, I mean, what, uh, typically for a president, what's the Dow? What's the unemployment? How's mm. consumer spending? What's the housing market like under Biden? All of those. Check, check, check. All yeah. looking good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's the press go to? Oh, inflation. Oh, yeah. inflation will define this presidency. It's like, OK, if it wasn't inflation, they would have found some other economic indicator they ne- they never really care about. And that would have been, you know, the most important story. Right. And once again, people are feeling the inflation. And rather than explaining about why inflation is happening and why it's probably going to go away. And if we make the wrong moves, it's going to lead to deflation. Instead right. of explaining all of that, it's just like, well, inflation's bad. That's the message that people are hearing <laughs> from the Sunday shows, the usual suspects, cable news and so on. And that's yeah. what's yeah. skewing public perception away from the Democrats. And and uh, giving this false impression of how they're doing, how Joe Biden's doing, how the congressional Democrats are doing. But, um, you know, before I let you go, I want to ask you about messaging real quick. And obviously lots of people on Twitter right now on social media screaming about the lack of Democratic Party messaging and so on. Are we looking to the wrong gatekeepers for this? It feels like messaging isn't so much about the national parties or even the campaigns anymore that it takes place now in the trenches on Facebook, on podcasts, other digital media, Fox News, of course. This is partly why your work is so important at Press Run, because you're delivering messaging, right? Um, And we need more people. We need more money people. We need a money machine to fuel independent media voices who will get that messaging out, rather than continuing to sit on our hands and go, why, oh, why isn't the National Democratic Party doing anything about, you know, issue X or Y? That seems (laughs) like we're waiting for the wrong great pumpkin. You know what I mean? It is. And it's, and it's been frustrating for years. You know, the, the liberal infrastructure inside the Beltway is, is, is non-existent compared to the, to the conservative. I mean, the yeah. amount of money swimming around the right wing, it, it's, it's almost hard to put your hard to put into to um, figures. Mm-hmm. Forget about Fox News and, you know, the think tanks. And I mean, they're just swimming in money. They're yeah. just absolutely they don't even know what to do with it in terms mm-hmm. of creating messaging and new sites and, and new inform, new misinformation places. So it's, you know, it's checkers and chess. I mean, it's not even what, what Democrats are doing. And then look, you know, it's, it's been a real naivete, particularly among democratic officials and, and, and politicians that, well, if, if we're just honest and, you know, if we do create messaging, the mainstream media will do the rest for us. You know, the New York yeah. times will explain it to everybody and CNN will explain it to everyone. And I think after Virginia, if people don't realize the media is not on our side, then they they're just not paying attention. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they but the, the conundrum is and I tweeted this last night. And again, I, I go back to you know Obama 2009 because I think it's very instructive. You know, we've been down this road. You know, we've Obama's first year was very difficult. His ratings were down. We, we lost New Jersey in the in the Virginia governorship. <clears throat> but, you know, we you know, he bounced back. The party bounced back. The problem now is we're de- is Democrats are dealing with a party that is just rampantly lies about everything. Yeah. Launders misinformation and conspiracy nonstop. And and I don't have an answer. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. And people say, well, point out, the you know, Democrats need to point out the lies, point out the lies. True. You can't run for governor if all you do is try to fact check the other guy. It's boring. It's <laughs> uninspiring. Right. Yeah. It doesn't get yeah. you anywhere. Mm-hmm. But we have a party that lies about everything. 
and is really not held to account. And so what are Democrats supposed to do? That's the terrifying point that we've reached. Yeah. Seems like seizing the initiative, coming up with our own CRT issue somehow, and then and then making that a lie. Right. Exactly. Right. right. I mean, we've got so much to work with, obviously. So uh, please, please do avail yourself of the truth, Democrats, and and maybe we can uh, turn things around. What's your uh, forecast for the coming year, Eric? How do you see things? Obviously, obviously we're going to talk before the midterms a couple of times, at least, I hope. But just uh, from where we're sitting now, what do you see uh, forthcoming? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, hopefully we can, you know, on the legislative front, I mean, with, you know, Biden and Democrats have to deliver some good news and some big good news. And, and whether it's drug pricing or family leave or things, these things are insanely popular. Yeah, They've got to go out and sell it. Uh, you know, look, I think 2022 is going to be tough. You know, I think mm-hmm. the the goal is to limit the damage as much as you can and, yeah. and hope for the best. The website is pressrun.media. As always, links in the description at bobseska.com. Support Eric's work and to follow him on social media. Thanks again, my friend. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Your voice is invaluable, and we'll we'll definitely talk to you again real soon. All right, thanks. Have a great week. Take care, Eric. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When your life is full of danger And you're feeling like a stranger When you say goodbye to someone Okay, up next is Wallace Shriver, and I think you're going to be seriously impressed with her. Uh, When I was 16 years old, when I was Wallace's age, I could barely string together a coherent sentence. Uh, I could play a couple of power chords on guitar, but that was it. Uh, But there's Wallace, ready to conquer the world, right? Again, IamWallace.com, and you can download both Lonely Christmas and Another Day everywhere you get your digital music. There's an extended video for Another Day dropping this Friday, and Wallace is going to be performing at the Switchville Crossing Jazz Fest on November 6th, Manny Young's tree lighting ceremony on November 18th, uh, Christmas Village in Center City on December 4th. These are all Philadelphia dates. So if you're in Philadelphia, be sure to go and support Wallace. Jump on the bandwagon now, long before she's eventually inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay, here's me and Wallace. Uh, Wallace, you're 16 years old now? Yeah, I'm 16 years old. You are absolutely the youngest person to ever appear on my show. So congratulations. That's a famous first. No way. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah. So, and my immediate reaction to your work was this. As soon as I heard Another Day, I was like, oh my God, she doesn't sound like she's a teenager. Your voice is uh, bold, mature. It's unlike a lot of young singers who tend to sound a little thinner, whether it's just because of age or just because they don't have the proper training. But you've got a hell of a powerful voice. Um, how did you get started singing? Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much. That uh, means a lot that you say that. But um, I mean, I grew up doing a lot of singing just because, you know, I, I always loved it. And I grew up around a lot of very musical people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of choir growing up and I did a bunch of community theater. And then I did a professional theater show when I was 12 years old in Philadelphia at the Walnut Street Theater. And, you know, I just, I took any performance opportunity that I could. And if I could do any singing lessons or whatever, you know, I just mm-hmm. tried to fully indulge in that. So, you know, doing a lot of live performance and musical theater is, you know, was what helped me to build, you know, the strength of my voice and, um, you know, just work on my technique and Mm -hmm. all of that. And, you know, being able to sing live and being trained in that way is really helpful, especially, you know, recording in the studio, it like makes it all easier because when you're, you know, when you're live, you got one shot to do it. So when you train your voice in that way, Mm-hmm. It makes, uh, you know, recording at home or in the studio that yeah, much easier. Yeah. 
I mean, in live yeah. performance, you have to project. You have to make sure that the very last person in the very back of the room can also hear you. And I think your voice has that natural power. But when did you first perform in front of people? Was that a choir or um, was there something else that you were in that you kind of caught the bug? Like, oh, my God, I love doing this. I want to do this more. Well, I mean, I always really enjoyed singing, but I feel like as a child, like a young child, I definitely was a little bit shy. It took a little bit hmm. of warming up for me. I mean, you know, just as I was starting to begin, but then I started doing a lot of choir and um, all that type of stuff, which got me really loving music. And then yeah, my yeah. first community theater show that I did, like the first musical theater type thing that I did mm -hmm. was when I was like, oh, this is, this is awesome. Like, I love being in front of a live audience. I love the, you know, the adrenaline that comes with it. And oh, yeah. All that. And then from there, I did more like musicals. Like, um, what was the first musical, musical you were in? What was the first uh, theater performance you did? Um, it was called Golly Gee Whiz. I was in fifth grade. <laughs> and it was, it was really, it was, you know, it was just like in a little gym at a, like a school that, you yeah. know, it was just like this little community theater thing, but it was, <laughs> And I played a man. I was like a 10 year old girl who was like playing the role of this like opera man who was like goofy. And I had to oh, wow. wear, I had to wear a whole uh, like fruit hat. It was, it was a whole experience, <laughs> but, um, but you know, it was so fun and yeah. I, it got me hooked. And then from there I did more cabarets and like, it got more into doing just, you know, like covers and like more music related stuff rather than theater. But yeah. you know, me originally doing a lot of theater musical theater that that sparked my love for performing live and you know that helped me to figure out how to start getting a stage presence because mm -hmm. you know i think if i didn't do any musical theater i would just stand there with a mic and not know what to do with myself you know and like i, I took some dance classes as a kid too i loved i loved dancing i love you know any any type of performance it was really connective for me and i loved you know being able to do something live is just a yeah. really cool experience because you know people are reacting in live time you're mm -hmm. with it's an engaging experience for both the performer and the people watching you and yeah. i was hooked to that so and yeah. where, where do you go to school you go to a school for performing arts right yeah so um i grew up going to public school and then when i was in seventh grade i got into like i mentioned earlier i got into a uh, professional theater show which resulted in me missing a decent amount of school. So we were trying to figure out a, a good schooling situation for me where I could, you know, still get an education while pursuing the arts I wanted to do and all that. So I found um, this one school that was partially cyber school, partially an art school where I would go in two days a week and learn just the arts classes that I wanted to take. And then I would do cyber the rest. And so I did that for about two and a half years. And now I'm actually back at public school, but I'm doing a cyber program through that where I only go in for my music classes. So it's very similar, yeah. mm. but um, yeah, uh, it's, it's really cool um, being in classes with kids who are passionate about the same things that you are. And, you mm. know, I learn a lot from them because everyone has their different areas of um, expertise <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, you learn something from everyone that you work with and everyone you're around and it's cool to, be around lots of talented teenagers, oh, yeah. especially. It's nice to be around people who have similar interests for sure. But you know, in terms of the notoriety that you've achieved uh, over the past year, especially is, has that uh, alienated you at all? Or is that something that maybe your friends, your classmates, they just don't really bother with it. And it's like, Oh, it's, <laughs> it's just Wallace. He's just a regular person. Or are you seen kind of as this celebrity in class? You know what? I don't think <laughs> I'm seen as a celebrity in class, but occasionally people will come up to me who I've never met before and they'll say something to me and I'm like, wait, this is crazy. How do you know about my random song? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. it just feels like, like, how do you know about my Christmas song that I put out? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right, right. Because to me, it's just like something that I did that, you know, it, it feels like it's just a part of my life. Like, why does, why did these people know about it? You know, especially like being in quarantine and having music released and people knowing about it 
in a time where you're not seeing them in person. Mm -hmm. And then like later on, now that I'm back at public school, going into school and having like random kids come up to me and be like, I'm a big fan of you. I'm like, what? Excuse me. You are my peer. And like, what is going on? Or like a teacher. I'm like, how do you know about this? It's just, you know, it's kind of crazy, but like overall, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just like a normal teenager in school, but you know, it's fun though, because I feel like I met some musical friends who reached out to me because they saw and they're like, Oh, like, no way you live close to me. I like music too. Or, you know, that type of stuff. So, you know, there's a variety. I, I meet some kids who are like, I'm your fan. I meet some kids who are like, I want to work with you. And, and then some people have no idea who I am. And, you yeah. know, it's then I'm, and then I'm just a kid in school, but it, it's fun. It's fun when people come up to me and, yeah. you know, it makes my day. It's, it's yeah. really like that. They took the time to say that they enjoyed something I created. It's like super cool. Yeah. This will show you how old school I am. Do people ask you for autographs or is it just selfies? Does that happen? <laughs> I actually, I don't think anyone's asked me for a selfie before. I've gotten more people ask me for my autograph. But really? Because I, I didn't even know that was a thing anymore. I thought it was all just like, well, who needs your signature when I can just get a picture of you with me and that'll show what? everything, right? That's, I know, that's funny. Frankly, yeah. I would I would rather take a selfie because my signature is like not that special. But, right, right. <laughs> but like, I, I mean, most of the people who ask me for my signature are like 10 year olds or like adults. So mm-hmm. it's not like anyone my age is coming up to me and asking me for my autograph, but like, it's cute. Cause like kids who know my, know my songs or like that I meet, it, it's usually just like very wholesome encounters where it's I'm talking to like an adult or a yeah. child. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I will give you my autograph. It was funny. There was, I went into my sister's school to volunteer one day um, mm. because they wanted me to do some music with the kids. And um, <laughs> at the end of class, the kids came up to me and they're like, can I get your autograph? I was like, totally. Like, you know, <laughs> give me a pen, a paper. I'll give you my autograph. They're like, can you write it three times? I was like, you know what? What are you selling these yeah. things? What? Why do you want? I know, I know. I was like, first of all, what are you doing with these? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But I was like, I'll give it to you. I'll give you five autographs if you want it. Make your request. I got you. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. And and how many of them were adults? Like adults asking you for autographs? Do you get any of those? You get like a teacher going, "Oh my god, I heard about you on Ellen. I need your autograph now." <laughs> well, I feel like when uh, adults do it, they're more just like trying to pay me a nice compliment or like make small talk but like oh. when children ask me I mean I don't know maybe they actually do want my autograph but um <laughs> but like when children ask me it's m- more funny because they're like okay give it to me seven times this time because I'm gonna put it in my journal at home and give my brother one I'm like I don't okay <laughs> yeah yeah it's just funny and, and how, what was the experience of uh being in quarantine uh, not being able to go to school and everything like that I mean I've I haven't talked as I said before I haven't talked to anyone who uh, was in school at the time when there wasn't really any in-school classes going on. Everything was Zoom and so on. Everything was virtual. Um, so I, I'd love to know what that was like for you. Obviously, you made good use of your time, what with the hit Christmas song and everything like that. So what was that like? What was that experience like uh, dealing with uh, being home all the time and not being able to be in school and to you know be social with your friends and so on? What was that uh, experience for you? genuinely so weird because it's so strange to be in high school when you know I feel like that's the time in life when everyone's like oh you're supposed to be out doing things and living your life you know like when you make all your crazy memories whatever and meanwhile we're I'm like a sophomore in high school stuck at home (laughs) and like sitting in my room with my thoughts like that's weird you're a teenager like oh yeah and um, were you, were you bored? Were you like, Oh my God, when is this going to end? Can I, I can't wait to go back to school. Or are you like, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, like, it's whatever. Like, oh, yeah. It's all a blur to me. Like mm-hmm. I was just thinking about this the other day. I was like, did I even have a sophomore year? Like what even happened that entire <laughs> year? I'm like, it was lonely Christmas. And then like nothing else. I have no like recollection of my sophomore year, which is a little frightening, but it's okay. Oh, yeah. um, but it's also, it, it was weird for me because I'm a performer and there was no performing going on, you know, like there's no live music. There's no, there's nothing. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, and there was also some beauty in that because then I got to work on more 
recording music, which I hadn't done as much. I mean, you, you missed your sophomore year. You had to stay home during your sophomore year, but you were able to produce like a timeless holiday classic with Lonely <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> and, and maybe you wouldn't have done that if it hadn't been for the pandemic and being, you know, lonely at I, Christmas time. And that totally. may not have happened at all. Have you ever kind of thought of it that way? Oh, I totally thought of it that way. It, lonely Christmas was like based on the pandemic, essentially. I mean, like, yeah. If you listen to the lyrics, it's all, you know, none of that would have happened if I hadn't been an isolated teenager in a pandemic around Christmas time, you know, like, so, you know, there's a a rose in every situation. Mm -hmm. What am I even saying? Is that even a... Is that even a proper? I don't even know what that. No, I, I totally got it. Yeah, I totally understand. Absolutely. You know what I was getting at? Right. Yes, um, of course, of course. Um, but you know, it's mind blowing to consider that you had your first big hit before you were able to drive. I mean, tell me how that song came together. Lonely Christmas, obviously inspired by the pandemic, as we said. But what was the impetus? What uh, drove you to create that song? How did it uh, get started? Well. Um, my dad, well, my, my dad has been writing a lot of music in his lifetime and oh, yeah. I always have, you know, enjoyed music and loved doing that with him. And so my dad and I sit down and we show each other our ideas all the time of songs and stuff. So he had the start of Lonely Christmas that he had written and he played it for me and he's like, the, the both of us knew that it would be a Christmas song, you know, we yeah. heard it and we we're like, okay, that's definitely going to be a Christmas song. We're like, you know what, maybe this is the year for it mm-hmm. maybe this is what we need to do and um we knew that this was like a time that people were feeling lonely and i you know loneliness is like a thing that happens all the time even if we're not in a pandemic but oh, we're yeah. like yeah. especially now this feels so prominent so mm-hmm. um you know we wrote it pretty quickly and I, i'm pretty sure like the main portion of the song like that was written like lyrics all of the vocals all of that type of stuff most of that was written in november right before we released it yeah and so it was all like very relevant to that time like even though it's not even though like this feeling is not uh specific to the pandemic it you know it all centered around the time yeah what, what was like for example what was your process for recording the song itself do you did you uh, collaborate with your dad and your sisters on the actual creation of the music itself because i mean in the video you're playing keyboards which indicates to me that you have some chops in terms of actually playing the music yourself how what was that process like in terms of uh, constructing the nuts and bolts and the stems of the song itself. Yeah. My dad and I wrote lonely Christmas together. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I do play piano. I play a little bit of guitar. I'm working on getting better at that. Um, and yeah, I, I play, I play some instruments myself. I, I like to accompany myself. Um, and my dad and I wrote it together. We recorded all of it together. And then we had a session musician play, um, saxophone. Oh, on great, like great. the little bridge part. Mm-hmm. And we recorded the saxophone in the studio. Oh, it's incredible. That, Which studio? Did, does your dad have a studio or did you guys uh, rent a studio space for the recording um, after you put together maybe a demo or something like that? Um, so we recorded most of it at home. We have like a little oh. makeshift at home studio. Great. And then the very end, you know, since we're, you know, the, we haven't, you know, this was our first single that we were working on together. So we had to go to the studio for like the finalizing it because mm-hmm. we didn't, you know, know how to even fully execute that on our own. But anyway, we had the drum tracks emailed to us. We had guitar emailed to us just by like musician friends that we know. And it's crazy that we can do that, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Record it and email it to us. And then that's on the track. And um, yeah. And then our session musicians were, um, Jay Davidson, Kevin Hansen, uh, Jared, sorry, Jared Kotler. And um, yeah, we, the only, but the only one that we actually played live was um, the saxophone. And then the the other ones were all by email, which is kind of crazy. And then we yeah. recorded the rest of the album. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a different world as far as that goes, where you can kind of avail yourself of musicians from around the globe if you need to. I mean, you can go to Ukraine or something and go, hey, can you play drums for me and record them at your house and then send me the stems and I'll put them into my song here in Philadelphia or something. I don't know if any of your musicians were from Ukraine, but you know what I'm saying, where 
it used to be you'd have to get the whole band into a room with microphones and, and an engineer and all those those things. But now it's opened up where you can get anyone that is available to perform on your music. It's an, it's really an amazing thing. And But what's uh, also cool about your recording, uh, Wallace, is that you also involve your sisters. How old are, is it Marin and Soleil? Yes, Marin and Soleil. Those are my sisters. Yeah, how, how old are they? And, and what do they do for a living, Wallace? <laughs> for a living? Well, they are children. Yes, I, I <laughs> but, know. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, Marin is 13 years old. Soleil is 10. She's turning 11 really soon. Her birthday's coming up. Wow. Um, and yeah, they're insane. They're so, they're super talented. Soleil really loves singing. Um, and you know, I'm excited for what Soleil is going to do with me in the future as well. But, um, wow. you know, it was, it was awesome recording with them and, Anytime that they want to record with me and do anything musical with me, I'm happy. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, they're kids. So, like, you know, we don't force them to do anything they don't want to do. And but if you know, <laughs> Yeah, kids these days. You can't force them to do anything. Uh, like mowing the lawn, singing on my hit Christmas song, you know. Yeah. And, like, and my sister Marin, she... She was like in a professional musical theater as yeah. well. She she played young Fiona in Shrek at the Walnut Street Theater. And oh know. wow, wow! Do they give you notes on your demos? Like if you're working on some music, like just for example, you're working on another day with them in mind to sing on it. Did you present them with some early versions of the song or some lyric ideas, and they said, "Oh, you know what? Change that," or "Oh, this looks good, but you got to change this other stanza," or "This bridge looks doesn't sound right to me." Do they give you notes on these things? I feel like they definitely are critical. Like if we play something for them, and they're like, mm, "You got to change that," like they definitely will vocalize okay. <laughs> their yeah. opinion. But at the same time, they're not like crazy analytical, and usually they. I mean. Sometimes, sometimes they are, but like Marin, for example, she came up with the idea to name another day, another day. Like we did not have a title for it. We did not know. Yeah. And she's like, why don't, why don't you just call it another day? And we we're like, oh, wait, <laughs> that's how it You're always on. works. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. And Soleil, she's only 10 years old right now, but she has got this crazy, like she's like a musical prodigy. I watch her like last night she played the piano for me and I was like, how are you like this? Like, it's just, <laughs> it just blows my mind. And, yeah. she, you know, and she just, it's like crazy how her brain is connected in that way because you talk to her and she just is like this 10 year old who's like cute and funny and, and like, you know, she's just a 10 year old. And then you start talking to her about music or you just listen to her play and you're like, excuse me? Like you are, <laughs> you are like an adult. Like, yeah. She has that intensity. Doesn't she? That's what I noticed in the music yeah, in both does. of the videos. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Soleil. Boy, she really has some intensity in her eye. Like she sounds like she can be silly too, but in the videos, oh, she's so all funny. business, right? Yeah. Well, I feel like, yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and yeah, like last night, sorry, this is such a random story, but I just feel like I have to say it. Um, <laughs> she was playing this like jazz piano piece for us that she just figured out how to play. Keep in mind, she has never had a piano lesson in her life. This is purely her doing it by ear. Oh, and wow. I was like, I I was actually like sitting there like, like laughing because I was like, this is crazy. You know, when yeah. you see something that like kind of shocks you, so you like can't help but laugh because you're like, what? Like, this is this is so crazy. Oh, yes. That was watching her last night. My dad was like, are you crying? I was like, no. <laughs> do, do the three of you sit around plotting how you're going to take over the world, you and Marin and Soleil? Just like, okay, here, if we do this and then do that and then do that, then we're going to be headlining at Wembley one of these days. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wish it was that simple. <laughs> um, you know, Marin right now at this point in time, I think she's just like being a teenager and like living her life. So I don't know if she at this particular point in time wants to, I don't know if she cares about music as much as we do right now, but like yeah. sometimes she loves it. So, you know, we just, again, we don't force anything. And if she wants to do it, then like, that's awesome. And that makes us super happy. And then like Soleil, you know, she, she loves it, but she's also a kid. So, you know, I work with them as much as I can because I love it and they're super talented, but at the same time, we're trying to do what's best for, you know, each other and our family and all that kind of stuff, because, yeah. you know, we're just like, 
you know, some, some siblings who are normal kids as well. And we don't have a huge strategy yet. We're just trying to create music that we like and, you know, do the right thing for everyone. It's impressive how grounded you are, Wallace, because you know, I read online that you consider your work to be, at least to a certain extent, a business, right? Being in the music industry, industry indicates business. And that's a really smart way to approach it. And I'm sure you've heard all the cautionary tales about musicians crashing oh, and burning yeah. after a little bit of success, especially if they're younger, mainly because they didn't have a solid work ethic or they didn't approach their music with the right attitude but you're in this for the long run right uh, yeah i mean i don't know what else i would do yeah. genuinely so i'm really hoping that this will work out for me because i do not have <laughs> i don't really have another plan like this is what i'm doing yeah. so i mean you know what i find a little bit of comfort in that though knowing that this is what you know i'm gonna do music in one way or another so mm -hmm makes me feel good that I at least know that, you know? Well, the amazing thing is, um, and this is just a side observation, Wallace, is that everything has changed so significantly, especially in the last 20 years. Like during your lifetime, music has gone from being controlled by the major labels almost to the point now where you can write your own ticket, you can do your own thing, and you can do that for the long run and still have a hell of a career doing it. You almost don't need. I mean, in fact, all of the music that I'm getting and that I'm playing on my show, all of the indie recording artists, it's really astonishing how I get to the point where I'm not even thinking about major labels. Like, what is Warner Brothers doing this week as far as their new music releases? And so, No, that's not happening. It's all independent recording artists, just like you're doing in your home, pooling together resources from around the country or around the world in some cases. It's really remarkable. Do you ever consider that maybe you were born at just the right time to be able to take advantage of not only the technology, but the independent atmosphere that the internet has been providing? Yeah. Well, you know what? I think there's a lot of really great things about this day and age in music because there's so many resources and there's so many, you know, you can learn so much from the internet and you can put out a lot of content easily. But at the same time with that, since it's not like crucial to be with a huge label anymore, since we're doing it independently, it's still a ton of work, you know, and we're still learning how to do all of that. And, um, you know, it's, it's not easy being an indie artist because, Again, you kind of have to be a business while you also have to do creative while you also have to figure out, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces and I'm also 16 years old. So I'm trying to figure out how to do all of that and how to quote unquote, make a brand, but be authentic. You know, it's, yeah. it's like, there's so many, and, and also it's just so much, there's so many elements of it that I never thought would be involved in, you know, like, I just want to put out music and now here it's like, oh, you got to do this on Instagram and you have to do this. You have <laughs> yep. to, yeah. you know, figure out your your look and figure out your this and that. I'm like, I switch up on the daily. I don't know. I'm a teenager. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just trying <laughs> to do the right thing. And then it's like, what is, what are your views on this? What is the, and you know, I'm like, I'm just trying to be a kind person and figure out my life, guys. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, it's still tough and I'm still trying to figure it out. And, you know, there's a lot of really great opportunities and it's cool that you don't need to be signed to a big label to be successful. But like, you know, with that, you also got to figure out how to do it yourself. And yeah. there's so many, you know, you, you got to figure out how to network and be a business person while also doing creative, you know, there's just lots of elements to it that I'm learning and, yeah. you know, <laughs> do you find that you have time to be a 16 year old you have time to be a teenager and do all the 16 year old things that uh, other kids are doing or uh, is your time really preoccupied with building up your career at this point you know what I feel like at this point in my life I feel like I have pretty good balance which is great yeah. because now that I'm going back to public school I feel like that's good for me because I'm around a variety of teenagers mm -hmm. and um you know, being in that environment, you, it's, it's very diverse and you get to learn a bit from everyone. And, um, I think that's really good for me. And then when I'm at home and 
you know, performing live and doing any of that type of stuff. I'm working on my music career and, yeah. you know, doing my best to figure out everything, my teenager life, my music life. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. But, you know, look, on the other side of things, suddenly Ellen is, Ellen DeGeneres is plugging your music on her show. Like when that happened, what was your reaction? I mean, you had to have gone nuts. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this is really happening to me. Or were you just like you normally are? You seem very casual. And as I said before, very grounded about things. What was your reaction when suddenly this mega show this unbelievably popular celebrity is now saying hey oh my god this song lonely christmas you have to go listen to it well when i first saw it i was kind of in a state of disbelief because i was like it just looked weird to me i just was looking at the computer i was like this is ellen's instagram and my face is on it this yeah. is so weird and then i just like giggled because I was like, was what there, is Where's there a second you're going, is this a prank? Is someone setting me up? Is this a troll doing this? Or were you convinced, okay, this is Ellen? Well, it was also like a point in time where everything just felt fake. I was like, yeah, right, what is right. happening? Like, I'm in my house. <laughs> my random Christmas song that I just put out is like sort of going a little viral. And now I'm on Ellen's Instagram. Like, just what is going on? And it was like so exciting too. And and like we got a phone call and our lawyer said that we're about to get on a rocket ship. And I was like, what does that mean? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I just was like, I don't, I don't know. It just was, it was all super fun and crazy and exciting and overwhelming. And then I was doing all these interviews and I'd never done that before. Mm. And then, you know, being on Ellen's Instagram and Twitter, it was just crazy. It, it just was, you know, crazy what was, was there did you feel any pressure to follow up lonely christmas with another christmas song or was there any consideration of that or is it okay i've done my christmas thing i want to do something that's kind of non-christmas something that can be played year-round is that what was yeah. the decision making after that what kind of pressure were you under as far as that goes well i think we knew that we weren't going to put out another christmas song because mm -hmm. that song just happened to have a Christmas vibe that we went with, yeah. but like overall, we're not out here just writing Christmas songs, you know, like when I write, <laughs> I'm not like, okay, time for Christmas song. Number three, number two, like, I'm just, I'm just writing songs, yeah. but you know, that happened to me, my first song. And this happened to be the response, which is kind of crazy. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think after you put out a song that people like, there is a lot of pressure for the second song to be good because you know, the expectations are raised if people liked your first song they're like oh then what like what's coming next and then then it's like what route do we go and you know like what seems most appropriate to follow up lonely christmas it just yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, did you get any calls from major labels going back to that that idea of uh you know the uh the big hollywood labels coming knocking at your door saying oh my god ellen's was talking about you and you've got this huge hit why don't you sign with us did did that happen did, were you getting offers like that uh yeah we we got a couple different offers for labels and management that type of stuff but you know right now we're remaining uh, remaining <laughs> remaining um <laughs> just you know ourselves and we have our own little record label that we created just so we could you know remain independent yeah, um yeah but yeah right now we're just we're trying to you know do everything mm. our way and we're trying to figure out how to make sure we have our own control over our own you know, music and that type of stuff. So we're just deciding not to do that for right now. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, we'll figure out how things go and what seems appropriate, but... Yeah, what? we didn't want to like jump on that right away. We wanted to make sure we were making the right decision. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm glad you did. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to play your music on my show. So I'm very grateful for the fact that you didn't sign with any major labels, at least for now. So thank you for that. I am very <laughs> grateful. Uh, but yeah, I th again, that goes back to your level-headedness. I think a lot of people would have been tempted to immediately sign like some sort of big deal, if major labels even do big deals anymore. Um, but that would have been the temptation, I think, for a lot of people. And it, it shows a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence and a lot of guts to stick it out on your own because this is the climate now, as we were saying before. So, what are you working on next? Are you, you gonna, are you looking at maybe putting together an entire album or just individual singles? What's your plan moving forward? 
I mean, I mean, ultimate- I mean b- besides doing homework and things like that. <laughs> oh, right. Of course. Um, I mean, the ultimate goal is to complete an album. But as of right now, we've got, oh, well, we're going to do an EP soon. But oh, I've got a couple singles coming out within the next couple months. Mm-hmm. So that's, I'm excited for those. Um, I've got a couple singles. And then I've got a couple live shows here and there. I'm doing like a jazz festival this weekend. And um, I, I'm doing a tree lighting ceremony. And then I'm going to perform in Christmas Village in Philly in December. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I've just got a couple things here and there that I'm excited for. It's nice to get back on stage and, you know, be in a live environment since that's, yeah. you know, really what I enjoy. And um, I also have an extended version of my Another Day music video coming out this week. Right, right. Pretty- Friday, right? Is that when that comes out? Yeah, Friday. Excellent. And um, that features some of our friends that are actors <laughs> who we put in the video <laughs> We had a lot of fun filming with them and it has like this one shot take that we took in this house that we were, you know, visiting. It, it was sort of this crazy experience um, filming oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm really excited for that to come out. So what's just out of curiosity, what's in heavy rotation in your headphones? Like what, what kind of stuff do you listen to these days? Um, I listen to Lord a lot. I really love Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been really, into willow willow smith recently i think she's super cool oh yeah phoebe bridgers uh blue to tiger who do you know who blue to tiger is she plays bass like i found her on instagram she's awesome oh no i gotta check her out i love i'm a bass player myself i'd love to hear that oh yeah yeah i'm sure you'd love her she she does all these like super cool bass videos and uh i think she's touring now but yeah she's super cool and um i really like Anatiju, who does this, like, she does a Spanish rap that mm-hmm. I'm really influenced by. I think she's super cool. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I have I have tons of influences because I like. Oh yeah, yeah. Genres too. I love rock and roll. I love, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, the website is iamwallace.com. The current single is Another Day. I've got links in the description for everything under this episode at bobseska.com. Just go and find this episode at bobseska.com. Click on that link, scroll down, and all of your links will be right there to support Wallace. Wallace, thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, talk with me today, and thank you for sharing your work. It's incredible, and uh, all of us here who listen to the show, all of us here who do the show, we're all rooting for you, and uh, can't wait to play the EP when it comes out. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Wallace. Take it easy, and good luck. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Oh, this lonely, lonely Christmas I can't help but feel that this must be goodbye To dreams of mine, a very plan that I made back in January I stare at my phone alone at night Am I doing this right? I feel like a reindeer in the headlights Oh, this lonely, lonely Christmas I know you know it's true I think about the cozy Christmases When I was with you Christmases when I will be with you 
Christmas. Uh...